So God, open our hearts, open our minds now as we jump into your word. Help us, Father, to not be afraid to deal with what it is that you bring up this morning in this time. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And good morning, Woodside. How are you? It's great to see you all. And uh, like Pastor Alex said, this last weekend, or this weekend that we're currently in, it's been a crazy weekend, very busy, and uh, it's been great. Thanks for all of you that uh, were helping this weekend. Uh, it was great. This, uh, I love events like this weekend because it, it allows people, so many people that were here in this building that would never otherwise step foot in a church were here because of some other reason. We had Pastor Steve Andrews, one of my friends from Kensington Church, a previous senior pastor there, amazing guy, uh, just sharing God's word and stories and interacting, had a couple great conversations with people that don't know the Lord, and uh, it's just great, those moments, getting someone here around believers in four walls of church, which otherwise would never be here on a Sunday morning, and then I just want to further push a little bit, a plug for our men's night out, I'd love to see you here, we've been having around 100 guys, 120 guys, I'd love to see much more than that, as I see more than that in this room right now. Uh, just coming together and fellowshipping together, growing together in God's word. It's something that God's placed in my heart strongly for this next year. And we'd love to see you come and, and hang out and participate in that on March 11th. Uh, if you think back to your childhood, I might age you a bit here. Some of the young ones over here, you may not remember, uh, or maybe you do still play this in middle school. Anybody remember the game Mercy? It was a great time, Right? where people would interlock their hands like this, and the whole point of it, the goal of it, was to make the other person hurt. It's my kind of game. Like with your brothers, you'd play mercy and just kind of try to twist or, 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 or bend their fingers to the point of breaking, to the point, what was the end goal? The other person that was, that was giving up had to yell what? Mercy! Like, my fingers are breaking! I hear them popping, right? This would not fly in today's society and middle school. Kids would probably get sent home for it. But this is what would happen all the time. You're going on a road trip somewhere out west or just up north. What are you doing? Let's try to break each other's fingers. <laughs> and this is what we would do, right? We would yell mercy. Now, when you think about it, we were just singing a song, Your Mercy is More. That's kind of the idea we're talking about today. The whole idea of mercy means asking a person who has the power to punish you or harm you to show compassion or forgiveness instead. And that's all. Like as they're bending your hand, they have the, the power to hurt you or break your fingers or, or misplace your hand. And you're yelling mercy because they have the power to stop what is harming you, Right? It's interesting that you think about that idea of mercy because they're the person that's inflicting the pain, but they're also the person that's able to give mercy, forgiveness, or stop the pain. There's so many today, I believe, that have that same perspective and view of God. That many people believe today that God is the one inflicting the pain on the world, the things that we struggle with, the things that are happening all around us. And he's also the person that is able, because of that, to, to, to remove that pain or remove that struggle or, or to give mercy. And in this story of the way that we view God, it's really messed up. 
I think that many of it seeps in from our 21st century culture where we really don't like to take responsibility for who we are, what we've done, and what we've brought ourselves to. So, so quickly, we just want to blame it on God. Like, hey, why is there so much evil in the world? Why would God allow that to happen? The better question is, why do we keep doing evil things? We're the broken ones. We're the ones who bring about most of the calamity in our own lives because of our own sin. We can go all the way back to Genesis and learn the whole reason why there's brokenness in the world is because of humanity. Right, a quick history lesson. If you're online or you're here in the room and you've not read a lot of the Bible, in the beginning God created everything perfect and good. It was very good. Man and women and, and animals and creation and it was beautiful and unbelievable, right? Until... Man decided to not believe what God said is true, right, and good, and believe the lie of Satan, and sin entered the world. And from that time on, there's been a fracturing of not only the relationship of man to God, but also of man to man. And in that moment, that's when sin and brokenness and death and disease and everything else entered into the world, and it's on us. But the amazing truth of the word of God is that God is so good that even in Genesis 3 and verse 15, what we call the big theological word, word the proto-evangelium, it's the first sign of the gospel. In Genesis 3.15, that God says he will send his son, he'll crush the head of Satan, because God is so good that he would show mercy. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. That because of what happened in Genesis, we are all born into this brokenness as sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Do you understand the perspective there? We didn't start becoming sinners the moment we sinned. We were born the moment. The moment we are born, we are born into sinfulness. So out of our sinfulness, we sin. It's not becoming a sinner because we sin. We're born into this thing. And we were dead in our trespasses. We don't have any relationship with God. We're broken in our relationship with one another. But I love it. In verse, it goes down to verse 4. But God... Best words in all of scripture are usually but. Like, man, we were dead in our trespasses, but God, what? Being rich in what? Mercy. Being rich in mercy, what? He says, because of the great love with which he loved us, most represented in his son who gave up all of his own rights to come and give his life on a cross for us so that we might be able to be reconciled back to God because of his great mercy with which he loved us. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we wanted nothing to do with God, even when we were running from him, even when we nailed him to the cross because of our own sin, even all of the things we wanted nothing to do with God, even in all of that, he comes after us, he loves us, and he makes us alive together with Christ. So we go from being dead to alive because of the goodness and the mercy of God. Why? And this is what I want you to know today is why. Because God is the giver of mercy. 
God is the giver of mercy. It's not this game that we're playing with God that, I mean, God's the one inflicting pain on us and eventually we have to yell mercy because there's too much pain or too much sin struggle or whatever. No, it's us inflicting it on ourselves. And even in still of that, looking at God, God says, mercy, mercy. And we see that today in the story of David as we continue on. In our series, Pastor Steve Zarelli was here last week and was opening up in 2 Samuel chapter 11, talking about the sin of David with Bathsheba, but it wasn't just with Bathsheba, right? We, we know very quickly he abused his power, right, as a king, actually violating Bathsheba. He, she becomes pregnant. Then, then David says, hey, man, I got to fix this problem. Just a real quick highlight of last week. He brings Uriah, her husband, off of the battlefield. He's a great warrior and says, hey, get cleaned up and go hang out with your wife as he knows what's about to happen. And then in that, she will, her, her pregnancy will be covered but he's such an honorable man. He says, how can my brothers be on the field uh, in war and me be here with my wife? And, and this is not okay. So he doesn't. He stays there and he just says, hey, this isn't going to happen. And in all of it, now David is in a pickle. What am I going to do? So he sends Uriah to the front lines and asks the men to abandon him. And in essence, he kills her husband. Then he takes her as his own. Like, so the sin just keeps multiplying until the prophet Nathan comes to him and confronts him. And this is one of my favorite parables in all of Scripture because it gives us the essence of what a parable is. If you're reading a parable in the New Testament, this is what it is. See, Nathan comes and he tells a story to David. This is why Jesus taught him parables because it so easily can get to our heart without knowing it's getting to our heart. Because at the end of the parable, there's something called a nimshah. It's the reveal that we say, whoa, I'm the jacked up one. Right? That's what happens to David. He tells a story, and David is furious. That guy needs to die. And he's like, well, it's you. And you're like, oh, sweet mercy. That, they don't need to die. We'll figure this out, right? Like, that's the parable. It's a, it's, a, it's a story that compels us. And at the end of the story, we reveal that we're the broken one. We're the one struggling. We're the, 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 the person that needs help, whatever it might be in a story and this is what David does, and he exposes, or Nathan does, in exposing David's sin, right? In the series we called Confessions, Erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal, because we believe that there's something that comes, there's something beautiful that comes out of confession and repentance. And I just want to set the standard. I wasn't here last week, but I, I just want you to know that I want you here. I don't care who you are. I don't care how broken you are or how broken you think you are. I, I, if you're joining us online, I want you to know that I don't care what you've done, what you've done to someone else, what's been done to you, God wants you here. When, when you look at the sin of David, a man that's called a, a man after God's own heart, and then you just walk down what he's done Someone who confessed in Psalm chapter 40 that I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is written on my heart. But yet in, in, in one foul swoop, he breaks like five of the commandments. 
You shall not covet, you shall not steal, commit adultery, murder, or bear false witness or lie. Like in all of them. This is, a, this is someone that's called a man after God's own heart. Man, I just want to breathe some life into some people in today. I just want to tell you that you're okay being here because if David is, can be called a man after his own heart, you can be called a child of God. That, that, that's the good news of the gospel. Because it's not on David, it's not on me, it's not on you, it's on God who did the work for us, but we have a job to do in the transaction, and it's called confession and repentance and following after a man that is called a man after God's own heart, even in his brokenness, in his brokenness, he comes to God in confession. That's what we're going to look at in Psalm 51 over the next number of weeks, is David's response to his sin in the writing of Psalm 51, and I just want you to see today is that God is a God of mercy, and I don't care where you are or what you're into or what is in the far corner of your soul that no one in this room knows. God is a God of mercy, and today it can be yours. I want to start with that. It can be yours. Well, how do we, how do we receive the mercy of God? When we look at what Ryan already read in, in Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, we see a couple things of how we receive the mercy of God. I just want to read them. If you look with me, just the, the, starting with verse 1 and then verse 2, two things. How do we receive the mercy of God? Well, in verse 51, read with me. David's response, Nathan's come and showed and revealed that he is the broken person. What's his response? Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So how, how do we receive the mercy of God? The first thing I, I would say is by appealing to the, to the character of God. That's what he's doing here, according to your abundant mercy. You notice that David doesn't spend time appealing to God, like making excuses for a sin. He doesn't spend time appealing to God, talking about, man, remember my faith as a child, my commitment as a shepherd, my victory over Goliath, my, my mercy that I showed Saul when I should have killed him because he was trying to kill me, my, my passion for, for worship that embarrassed my wife, where it says that he was undignified before the Lord, and, 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 and worshiping God countless times, where he put his life on the line for God in the past. He doesn't appeal to any of that. So I just want to set the standard today as we step in to confession and repentance and receiving the mercy of God. Spend no time today or the future appealing to God all the things you've done for him. It means nothing. When it comes to the grace and the mercy of God received, your works mean nothing. They mean everything in following after Jesus in obedience. But when it comes to receiving from God, it's free. It's free. And he doesn't spend any time saying, hey, these are all the things that I've done for you. Rather, he knows none of these things change. He, he just, he, he appeals to God and who he is. Because why? David's broken his covenant with God. He, he's, he, he's literally said, man, this is, this is more important. And he just looks to the, the character of God and says what? Have mercy on me, O God. Why? Why in the text does he say have mercy on me? What is, he, what is he calling to about the character of God? Well, it says it right there. It's just one verse as we, we dive into it. According to what? Your steadfast love. 
because of your immeasurable mercy, because of what he's saying, because of who you are, because of, 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 of what you've done, because of who you are, God, not because of who I am as David, but because of everything dependent on you, God, because of your steadfast love. Now, this is where it's fun to get into the language of the text in Hebrew or Greek, and I understand that you don't know how to read that. I, I took Hebrew about 10 years ago uh, for an entire year, and I forgot pretty much everything. Praise God for technology. Well, you can have the same thing. You can have programs that look into this, and when you look at uh, uh, the word steadfast, love, it's the word in Hebrew, hasad, hased, right? It's a word that, that, that combines the ideas of love, generosity, and commitment. It's a promise-keeping loyalty and love. It's what you see at a wedding when, when the spouse uh, uh, the two spouses, that they stand there, husband and wife, and they're doing what? They're committing vows to one another in sickness and in health, in no matter what circumstance, no matter what's happening in life, in goodness, in, in wealthy times, and in, and, in, and in poverty, what are we committing? My steadfast love that I will be there. I will not forsake you. I'm committing everything to you. Oftentimes, People want to write their own vows when I do weddings. And, and when we meet with each other, I always tell them, I say, hey, can you send me your vows before the wedding? I'd like to take a look at them. And sometimes people are like, kind of look at me funny, like, wait a minute, why do you want to see my vows? That's, I'd like to just share them that moment and the first time. That'd be awesome. And I'm always telling them, I'm not questioning your vows. What I want to see is, is I remember the first couple of weddings I ever did, um, I didn't do these things because you learn and grow. And then we're standing at the altar and they, they bring out their vows and they just say, I remember the first time we met. It was so glorious. You looked beautiful. I saw you from across the room and that's when I knew you would be my wife. Since then, we've done all these things together and I'm glad to be here with you today. And I'm like, oh snap, I can't finish this wedding. They didn't vow anything. They just told everybody how they fell in love. Right? Because when we vow, it's something more than just saying, hey, I remember when I met you. I, I remember how beautiful you were. I remember all the ups and downs we went to. All of that is great, but it doesn't matter when you're standing there. You're, you're vowing steadfast love that in all of the circumstances of life, I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. I will be there with you because love is not just this butterflies I feel in my stomach. It's me choosing you over everything else. Right? And this is what he's saying, because of who you are, God, you are full of steadfast love and mercy. Hased, love. It's something given when the other party keeps their end of the deal. It's connected to the faithfulness of the promise maker. A promised love. And this is what he's saying, man, God, I know who you are. And I know this is who you are. And I'm not appealing to what I've done. I'm appealing to who you are. It's reminiscent of the Israelites when they make their way into the promised land or they're on the journey fleeing from Egypt. And they send these spies into the promised land to scope it out to see if they're able to overcome uh, the people that are there, right? And, and they get a discouraging report back that they may not be able to just by looking at their, like, they're giants and all this stuff, and they come back, and they're like, maybe we won't be able to overthrow them. And the people rise up against Moses and literally want to stone him. But God intervenes and steps in. 
And Moses in that moment, because he loves the people, he steps in and he pleads for God to have mercy. He's calling on who God is when he says in Numbers 14, 19, please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of what? Your steadfast love, your chesed. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. In other words, he's saying, man, because of who you are, God, don't, don't blot these people out. Don't, don't wipe them out because of their brokenness. We know that you're a steadfast love. Your character is good. And you love the people. You rescued them from Egypt. Don't now start to get so upset that you just say, forget it. Moses calls on the character of God of who he is, right? We're talking about confession. This whole series is called Confessions. Do you know what confession means? The word confession literally means, remember this, to say the same thing as. That's what it means. To say the same thing as. So when I say that we're, we're talking about confession of our sins, we're saying the same thing as God does about our sin. That it's sin. It's saying the same thing as. So, so when I come to the Lord in confession, I'm saying, God, yes, I'm broken and I keep going after this sin and I know it's wrong and I'm not believing that you're better than that or, or God, I just can't overcome this bitterness and I, I want to confess it and repent of it. I'm saying the same thing about my bitterness that God says about my bitterness, that it's sin and it's brokenness. But you know what's funny? Oftentimes in repentance or in confession, we always think of it in the negative. When's the last time you thought about confession in the positive? Confession isn't just, oh man, I have to bare my soul before the Lord and tell him how horrible of a human I am. There's an element to that. But confession is also saying the same thing as God does about who God is. God, I appeal to your character. You are good, full of steadfast love and mercy. And I say the same thing about you that you already know about yourself. And I want to confess that here, Lord, in this moment. And I'm calling on who you are, and I am telling you who I am. Do you know what confession is? Confession is literally just being honest with God about who you really are. Confession is just being honest with God about who he really is. Confession is just about honesty. And, and I'll tell you, today, what I really want for us in this room is I just want us to be honest with ourselves about what God already knows about ourselves. I just want us to be honest. If you come to church here just because of some religious thing you've been doing since you were a little kid, I just want you to be honest with God today about that. If you've been struggling with pornography since you were 11 years old, I just want you to be honest with God today about that. If you've been cheating on your spouse and they still don't know it and they're sitting in this room, today I just want you to be honest with God about that. If you haven't opened your Bible in 15 years and you've been dependent on some pastor telling you a truth every Sunday, I just want you to be honest with God about it today. If you struggle with greed and not a dime of your resources goes towards the kingdom of God, and I just want you in this room today to be honest with God about it. And you could go on and on and on. Whatever it is, I just want us today in confession to be honest with God about what God already knows about us. Because that's what confession is. It's realizing it and starting from a place of saying, yes, God, you're right, that is wrong, and I'm telling you it's wrong, and I'm going to speak that. And when I do, 
We're not suggesting that we deserve mercy. We're just instead admitting that while our character is broken and we often run to other things, God's character is unbroken. It's good. Well, he, he not only, right, he appeals to the character of God, but he appeals to God's abundant mercy. Uh, what that could mean is the greatness of your compassion. We, we sang a song a couple of minutes ago, and we, I hope you know this. We sing songs every Sunday that we hope will bring you to a place uh, of the throne of God before we open up the word of God. And the songs we sing after the sermon are meant to be a place that we can reflect on the word of God. So, so it's, it's not just unimportant, it's important. What we do in this room is important. When we sing, it's important. After the message, it's important that you sit in this room and sing and think about what God has declared in his word. Right before this, there's a reason why we pick certain songs. This morning, we, we sang just before I came up here a song, Your Mercy or His Mercy is More. And I love what the first verse says. It says this, What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into the sea, without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. It's important. His mercy, it's, it's more than enough. Right? We appeal to his character and who he is, and we appeal to his mercy and who he is and the mercy giver, right? And I just want us to start for a moment before we continue on to the next verse and just wrestle with what is it that you need to confess in your own soul today? Just think about that for a moment. What do you need to say the same thing to God about that is true? What do you need to, to bring before the Lord and be honest with before him? Maybe it's, it's here, you're, you just need to be honest. And I, wanna, I always try to give people as much <laughs> opportunity to be honest with God because God already knows. What, what is it in the room you're mad and you're furious with God with that you need to be honest and confess that with him today? God, I can't believe you have not allowed me to get married up until this point in my life. God, I can't believe that you would allow my spouse to leave me. God, I can't believe you wouldn't allow me to have children. God, I can't believe you've allowed this sickness to enter my life. God, I can't believe this. But I want to tell you, and I kept fasting in this room, God, I am furious with you to the point where I'm losing faith. I, I'm, I'm being honest with you today, God. I didn't even want to be at church today because I'm so, I'm so ticked off. Today, what is that thing that you need to just be confessing to the Lord and be truthful with God today? I'm telling you, his character is one of steadfast love who will meet you there and mercy that will be there. That, that's who God is, right? But we have to actually realize that we're broken and we're in need. Jesus says in Luke chapter 5 and 31, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
It starts with today in this room, before we move on, you realizing that you are actually broken. You are actually struggling. You are actually at a place of need before you can open your mouth and say, Lord, I want to say the same thing as you about this in my life. I need to say the same thing about you and who you are. Well, how do we see receive mercy? We appeal, yes, to, to God's character, but also by appealing to the cleansing power of God. After the message, we're going to sing a song that I think is maybe one of the most anointed and powerful songs about the blood of Jesus. And I just want us to sit in it as we thank the Lord for his blood by his cleansing power. Verse 2 He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. You see, he's appealing to the cleansing power of God. But what does David need cleansing from when you think about it? Well, he uses a few words in verses 1 and 2. He uses three words. He says, my transgressions which means to go against or to rebel. So he says, I've rebelled against you in my sin. My iniquity and guilt, he says those two words, which means to bend or to twist. I've bent and I've twisted what is right and good, and I've done the opposite. My sin, which means just to miss the mark. If you're an archer in the room, I like archery. It means that you just don't hit the bullseye. You've missed the mark. That we, we are dead in our trespasses and sins before God because we've missed the mark of holiness. Therefore, that's why we need God to step in, right? And he says in all of this, man, he, he says, man, I, I, I've, I've rebelled against you. I've gone against you. I've twisted what is right and true, even in my own heart, to believe that I was okay before Nathan comes and confronts me. And at the same time, I've missed the mark. I need your cleansing power in my life. See, David is not in any way prepared to have any contact with God because of the brokenness and sinfulness in his own life. And what he's experienced is much more than some ritual or sacrifice that he could have some lamb put on an altar before Christ came. It's bigger than some ritual bath, what they would call even a mikvah bath, where they would go down into the water and be cleansed before the Lord. It's bigger than all of that. He says, Lord, I need your supernatural work in my life to cleanse me. And the only way you can. Seems silly, but it reminds me. I don't know about you. (laughs) The older I get, I feel like it's easier for me to drop food on my shirt when I'm in public places. (laughs) I used to laugh at my dad when he did this. And now I'm like, what the world? How'd that get there? I don't know if I'm shaking or my stomach's getting bigger. That could be it. I don't know. And it's catching more. But uh, when I travel, I always keep shout wipes. These things are like the cleansing power of Jesus, right? (laughs) People are like, how do you keep your shoes so wet? I'm like, I have a shout wipe with me at all times. You know, you just take that. There's one thing that will never come out of your shirt. I don't care if you have, you know, supernatural powers. It's like oil, right? Spill oil on my shirt. I'm like, this will not come out. Shout wipes. I use three or four to the point of the fabric is changing. I'm scrubbing so hard. And it will not come out. Right? 
It's silly, it's stupid, but this is kind of what David is saying. He's like, man, nothing I I normally could do could bring me to a place of cleansing. I need something outside of myself. I need something supernatural, you to come in and cleanse me and wash me in such a way that will make me new, right? This is essentially the gospel, that what we experience, there's nothing that you can do religiously. There's no amount of money you can give. There's no amount of serving you can give. There's no amount of church attendance you can give. There's none of that. Only the cleansing power of Jesus is what brings us back into reconciliation with him, amen? Nothing else. No thing we can do. No act we can, we, we, we can push forward. It only is through Christ. It reminds me of the story Jesus is leaving Jericho in Mark chapter 10 with his disciples, and there's this guy, Bartimaeus. Maybe you've read this story before. He's a blind beggar, and he's sitting at the side of the road. In verse 47 of chapter 10, it says, And when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Now, son of David was a term that they used for the Savior. He says, have mercy mercy on me. See, Bartimaeus is calling out to the Messiah, to Jesus himself for mercy, saying, man, show me compassion. There's nothing that I can do to help myself. A blind guy, there's nothing that he can do to make his sight new. There's there's nothing within himself. But he, he believed that Jesus is one who could make a change in his life that could make him see once again. And in verse 48, as you continue on, it says, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy. And people are like, be quiet. Don't bother Jesus with your blindness. Don't bother him. No, be quiet. We don't want to hear it. It says many people, right? And it just kind of shows something. Man, when you know there is something that you can't fix, when you know that there's, there's only things outside of yourself that can resolve the issue in your soul, man, that, that, that you can't put yourself back together, you can't clean yourself up enough, you can't bring yourself to the table, you will do whatever it takes. You won't worry about what anyone else in the room thinks, how you sound, what others think. You're going to do whatever you have to do to get to the one with power that is able to change your life. Man, this is, this is what confession and repentance is. You want to tell you so many times why people don't come down an aisle and kneel before the Lord? It's because they're so worried about what everybody else in the room thinks. So many people are like, man, I know Scripture commands us to, to lift our hands to the Lord in praise. So many people are worried about it because they're worried about what other people think about them. So many people in life are worried. Man, what, what does someone else think? Or, man, I can do this on my own. I'll deal with this sin privately. When, when Scripture clearly tells us in James, confess your sins one to another. I'm worried about what someone might think of me if I told them I have this addiction. I have this problem. We're so worried about everyone else rather than, these are eternal weighty matters that affect my day-to-day life and operation with the Lord. And I'm just here to call you today, forget what everyone else in the church thinks and be honest with God. Oh, that the church, oh, that this church would become a place 
where people are free to express their brokenness, that more people would be free to express their brokenness. Because this should be a place that is full of broken, messed up people. The reason we're here is because we're in greatly in need of a Savior. Not just at the moment of salvation when I call upon the Lord to be saved, but every day when he is continually doing a saving work in my soul and in your soul and my heart's longing is that we would be a place that is real with our brokenness. That's why I probably to a fault try to tell you how messed up I am. Because my hope and my desire is that you might feel home in a place that has a pastor that is messed up. Because we have to be real and honest with our brokenness. But it's amazing when Jesus replies, right? What does he say? And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus and said to him, what do you want, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You see, the goodness of the gospel is that faith is what makes us well. Jesus, by faith, makes us well. That scripture says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord... That Jesus is Lord, he gave his life on the cross, he overcame the power of sin, death, and hell. And he says, and believe in your heart that it's real, it's not just some religious thing you do, it's actually here in your heart. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? That you will be saved. This, this is the power of, of, of response to the Lord. To, to receive the mercy of God, we have to recognize that we need him. We actually need him. And that his sacrificial blood was the, the revolutionary cleansing power, right? Listen to what John says in 1 John verse one, chapter 1 and verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, because there might be a bunch of people in the room today that are just saying, no, I don't have any issues. I don't have any brokenness. I don't have any struggles. If we say we have no sin, we, receive, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, if, if we go the other route, if we actually confess those things and bring them before the Lord, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins, and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'll just tell you from the beginning, I told you, I just want you to know God is the giver of Mercy. How do we respond? Yeah, we appeal to God's character when we appeal to his cleansing power, no matter what it is, big or small. There's many of you in this room, there's people watching online. You might have big things, you might have small things today. 
Maybe you're struggling with unforgiveness, bitterness, some secret lust or sin, greed, apathy, anger, selfishness, jealousy. My heart today is just that we would be honest with God, not concerned about what anyone else in this room thinks. Before the Lord and in our confession to the Lord, saying who he is and who we really are, we will receive mercy. Today, if you're here and you've never done that for the first time in calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved, whether online or in this room, today is that day for you to confess to the Lord and saying, I'm a broken sinner, I've done wrong my whole life, but I'm also confessing who you are, that you are the Lord who came after me, gave your life for me, died for me, and rose again victoriously. And I don't even know all what that means today, but I'm pushing all in and giving you my life. And I'd love to talk with Jim or Alex or someone else to think about what that looks like long-term, but today my response is confession or repentance in that way. For most of us in this room that call ourselves followers, of Jesus. Today is us just searching our own soul and heart and saying, Lord, what are the deepest parts of my soul that I haven't let you into? And I just want to bring to light those things today. And so I don't want to do anything special. I just want us to spend a moment. The band's going to come. I just want you to bow your head today. Can we just, can we just be quiet before the Lord for a moment? I don't need some song. It's going to be great for us to respond to the Lord. You don't need me. Can we just be quiet before the Lord? And I call you to, if, you're, if you feel okay with it, to put your palms up before the Lord at your, at, on, your, on, on your knees, whatever it is, however you feel re- led to respond to the Lord. Let's just sit for a moment. What are those things that are there that only God knows. Speak the truth about those to God today. What do you need to release to the Lord today? Holy Spirit, reveal to us what those things are. God, we confess today that you are the mercy giver. You are so good to us, even in my failure and brokenness, in our failure and brokenness, you meet us. Like David, if we're faithful to come to you and respond, to be honest with who we are, with who you are, God, I have a simple prayer today that you would meet us. God, even as as the band comes and we sing in a moment, may we have a rich and amazing time in this place celebrating and singing and declaring 
that your blood is what makes a way. Your blood is the thing that cleanses us if we are faithful to respond by faith to you. And so, God, I just ask that if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't know you, anyone online that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I'm not talking about religious garbage. I'm talking about knowing you, God. God, if there's no one in the, if there's someone in this place that doesn't know you, would you bring them to a place of responding, being honest with you, confessing their brokenness and sin, and then confessing and declaring who you are and what you've done and placing their faith and trust in you. And for all of us, God, may this be a place that is a place of honesty about our brokenness and honesty about our, our struggle and honest about who we really are and understanding that that's okay. It's not okay to sit in, but it's okay because we're all the same. We're broken and desperately in need of you, Jesus, as our Savior. So God, would you just bring us to a place, even as we sing, Maybe some people in this room, God, need to just sit and listen. Some people maybe need to get down on their knees before you if so led. Some people maybe need to come forward if you lead them in that direction. Maybe just to continue to sit and listen. But God, do a work in us that you only do. Without it, we are lost. So thank you, God. We declare in this place for your blood that cleanses and washes us because of who you are, the mercy giver. In Jesus' name.